Ryder, welcome back to Aganis Arena here on the campus of BU. It's game two of the Hockey East quarterfinals where Merrimack and BU are facing off and Merrimack has the one nothing lead at the end of one period here. Finally get a lead on BU with a minute to go in the period. Joe Bertagna joins us. He's the commissioner of Hockey East and uh, boy, earlier today, Joe, with UNH's win over Providence, you know, all, we talk about all the parity in, in Hockey East this year with the playoffs. Wouldn't be surprised to see upsets and so on, but it took until this afternoon before we finally had a road team win in, this, in the uh, quarterfinals this year. You know, I was saying to somebody uh, last night, I said, watch, after all this parody, not just parody talk, but I mean, the way that the league went, we'll end up with uh, four sweeps, you know? So that didn't happen, and this one's it's early, it's early, but it's tracking that uh, it looks like a good night for the Warriors so far. How, uh, how are things going around the league with the quarterfinals? I mean, attendance is always tough this time of year. You get schools that are on break, and you don't know what the attendance is going to be like, so uh, how, how's it going in general? You know, I mean, th things are going well in general, but you're right. This is a, It's tough when you haven't had to potentially buy tickets three nights in a row, which some fans might be asked to do. We haven't quite figured out how to do it. I mean, we've tried to add our quarterfinal marketing in with the, uh, you know, for years we focused really on trying to sell tickets to the garden, and then the school said, you know, could you add the quarterfinal information when you're out there doing email blasts or even the uh, spots we do on TV for, uh, you know, get a couple of commercials a game and sell tickets. But it's tough, and some of the newer buildings are, are not cheap. Uh, we talked about that earlier. Um, and, you know, the product on the ice has lived up to the expectations, I think, in these games. I have a chance to watch some of them being streamed and watching the BC Vermont game while I'm uh, watching this one live. So I think we're still delivering the product, and I am excited excited about next weekend because the way the season went, uh, I think anybody that gets to the Garden is going to feel pretty good about having a chance to win it. You know, there have been some years where there's been a heavy favorite. That's not going to be as well as Lowell's playing right now, and they certainly have earned the number one seed. I think anybody who gets there can, and their fans can think it could be their year. It's going to help next year, won't it? And you know, in terms of, I realize that you know the league gets the revenue from the playoffs and so on. But you know, you've had for for a while this this situation where just by the way that the schedule works out, that a lot of the times the quarterfinal series are on a weekend when schools are on break, and and uh, so that is going to affect attendance. But next year, and especially the year after, you're going to have two rounds of playoffs, so a better chance that somebody will be at home. And you're, you know, you're also going to have eventually when we get to 12 teams, eight teams are going to get the host playoff series. Yeah, and that's good. It'll be playoff hockey at more schools, but you're gonna somebody's gonna miss out because if it's if they're not on break for round one, they're on round two, or maybe even the guard weekend. So it's that time of year. And you're right, we're gonna have uh, three series in the first round to produce three winners, and they'll join the other remaining five in the quarterfinals. Right. The following year, it'll look like very much like the DCAC does. You'll have uh, four series and four teams having buys. So you know, I've always been one of the guys that like the fact that we eliminated teams in the regular season. Don't you think I hear that? Um, but now I understand as we go to everybody getting in next year, the WCHA is going to have their bottom teams not make it. So someone will carry the torch next year. <laughs> uh, what was it like in terms, I mean, I talked to some of the coaches, and it seems like at least a few that I've talked to seem like they were still in support of, of, of having some teams not make the playoffs. I mean, what, what was it like? Was, was, it, was it a close vote? Uh, it wasn't really close. I mean, you, obviously you heard it year to year from those guys who tell you it's no fun to be the one sitting out, you know. And, and uh, we had a couple of cases where guys lost their jobs. And, you know, maybe it was going to happen anyway. Maybe it was because, you know, the last thing was they didn't make the playoffs. But um, I think they were more concerned as we were going forward to make sure that they were two out of three series. I think they do like that. Uh, there were some athletic directors who wanted 
actually talked about having the first round single elimination, the second round two out of three, and then you go to the guard single. I'm glad that was uh, defeated. And they, they, I think they were worried about a team that gets hot late that ends up having to be on the road for two series in a row, you know, upset winner in three games, another another series upset winner in three games. And then we will have to factor in Notre Dame travel, whether it's them coming out here or somebody going out to them. And that'll be a, a, a first for us. We haven't had to put people on planes before. I was talking to my friends out in the CCHA and Michigan State knocking off Alaska saved the league about $60,000 because Alaska would have advanced to the next round and had to travel. And the, the, the plane tickets alone were something like $60,000 to move the team. So I don't know how the new WCHA with two Alaska teams is going to handle that. They, I see they scrapped their plan for having the two Alaskas always meet in the first round. I didn't think that made much sense. So does this mean that the uh, the CCHA, uh, you know, the the, uh, the the end of the uh, end of the run CCHA party is going to be a little bit more extravagant as a result? <laughs> I don't know how they divide. I guess there are uh, assets that they have to hold on, and, and there's some legal thing about it breaking up a corporation, and, and I don't know how they do that. But you know, it's it's sad. I mean, they had a history, and I think it's sad that the WCHA, even though they're staying on in, in name, is going to be a much different. Uh, you know, it's a very proud conference, and I feel bad for Bruce McLeod, but uh, hey, they're going to they're going to fight through the new look WCHA, and I think we're all kind of anxious to see what the new the new hockey world is going to look like next year. You know, and I, I've said this to a number of people. I still think there's going to be a what I call like a market correction. That, that within a couple of years, there's going to be another wave of some change, not as seismic as this one. But I think some people are going to step back and say, you know, there were a lot of decisions made in a hurry when people were scrambling to see where they were going to go. And, and I don't know why I feel that way, but I just have a feeling that things happen very quickly, and uh, there could be some, you know, not as dramatic adjustments. But maybe we'll see something else in a couple of years. Well, there's been some discussion about scheduling, and that's a big challenge now, especially for the Hockey East teams that have twice as many non-league games to schedule. And, you know, there's been the idea advanced by some of the coaches that maybe there should be some sort of a, uh, you know, a group, uh, you know, basically not necessarily like a big, big East ACC challenge kind of thing, but something to try to ensure more and more of these quality non-league games. Is there anything coming out in that regard? Yeah, I think a lot of that stuff's going to start in uh, in Florida this year. We're on the leagues now meeting in, under the new structure, and I, I'd very much like to approach. I mean, I've had some conversations, nothing formal with the Big Ten, but it's uh, it's going to be difficult because some, this is where you know it's not a complete democracy. You know, you've got some schools that do have advantages, and they're going to feel that they earn those advantages. And, they, and one of them is their ability to schedule the type of non-league schedule they want, both in terms of who they play and where those games are played. And I know Mark has, has complained that you know he'll he'll get a school like in North Dakota that'll say, "Sure, come on out, you can play here, but we're not coming back to, to your place." And it's but <clears throat> you know one of those areas where I think this hurts is when you look at the RPI for the postseason tournament. You know, if there was a way to give a little bit more weight to, to road wins, it might help some of these teams that have a little bit of an equity in how many home non-league games they we have. used to have. Yeah, and, and I don't know, in talking to Tim Danny and, and you guys know this stuff better, I think in the end the tweaks didn't make that much difference, you know, but it was a perception really that you get some of these big schools that have large arenas that, that the, the financial profile of those schools, they can buy opponents and bring them in and not have to return, or the big schools, you know, have their own deals where other schools are scrambling to to, to get that 18th home game or something, you know, and, uh, it is an issue. I mean, it is one of the things that, I, that I've thought for a while is that, I mean, there was one year a few years ago, I think, I won't name it, one of the big, one of the future Big Ten schools played, some, had something like 14 non-league games and played them all at home or something like that. And, and it seems to me that what has to happen is just basically everybody's got to agree that, okay, so, I mean, and I've heard Mark Denny say this, that 
you know, they're getting away from the idea of going out and taking the guarantee. And, you know, I know that Kevin Snedden at Vermont for a while, they've had that policy that they wouldn't play a team, wouldn't go out and play somebody unless they won't come back. And, and so it seems like everybody's going to work together because if, if you've got if you've got five schools, for instance, and four of them get asked to come out and, you know, and the, and the team won't come back, but the fifth school says, yeah, we'll take it, it doesn't work. Yeah, this is where self-interest kind of rears its ugly head, you know, and I, I don't know that how many schools will give up what they perceive as an advantage that they've earned. And I know some of our schools are talking about playing a third uh, game with a league opponent. Obviously, it wouldn't be a league game, and it might confuse the fans. Uh, we had that in women's hockey this year where, where Maine and Vermont, because of the travel, played right. four games. And it's going to happen. I think Maine and UMass are going to do that next year, it sounds. I wouldn't be surprised if Maine and UNH uh, might do it, too, because the history of that rivalry. You know, the Boston schools are have the beanpot games lurking there, so they, they'll pick up some of those games. Um, I, I don't know. I think the Notre Dame travel is going to be interesting. Teams will go out there once every two years. They'll come to the year school once every two years. Uh, and, and, and UConn, UConn, in a way, their first schedule is kind of picking up what was left of the... You know, when I did the first schedule last year, we had teams with bye weekends because there were 11 teams. So I tried to plug in UConn in those bye weekends as much as possible because they were just waiting there for a team with an open schedule. It could be later in the year when you can't get non-league games. I also wanted to give them a chance to open up with a little bit of a splash. I think their first home game is with BC, if I'm not mistaken. I think UConn's first game in the league is at Merriman. So uh, they're going to be playing in the Hartford Civic Center. Um, there's still some discussion on whether they're going to put a lot of money into the existing rink on campus or maybe even look at putting a rink into Gamble Pavilion, which would be exciting. But they, in the end, they're going to want to have a good on-campus facility. The league is going to want them to have one. I think the governor wants them to go down to Hartford because he's trying to bring events to Hartford, and he's been very influential in making sure the funding's there for this move that they're going to make. So uh, a, lot of, a lot of changes, and I think most for the better. I need to take a break, but uh, two quick questions. Quick, first, since you brought up UConn, is it their call as far as which games they're going to play on campus and which games will be in Hartford, or, or does the league get involved? And then the second question is... It will be their call. You know? okay. Yeah. Okay. Uh, but I, I think I think both the league and UConn eventually would like to see more games on campus and maybe some of the you know the games that make more sense where there's more of a draw for a long time. Right. Okay. And then the second question, obviously, of concern or interest to Merrimack fans, rumors about Frozen Fenway, anything you can tell us about that? Would, you know, is it going to happen? Would Merrimack be involved? If, if it happens, Merrimack will be involved. I can say that much. Uh, we're still working on some of the... You get into these things where you start with a big concept and then you have lawyers involved and trying to work out details. But, you know, we've had two successful runs in 2010, 2012. Uh, we started talking about 2014 and one of the kind of non-negotiable uh, issues on our part was that whatever we do, uh, that any school that hadn't been in it before would have to be in it. So we're not at the finish line yet, but I, I can say that if it happens, Merrimack will be there. All right, thanks, Joe. We appreciate it, and uh, best of luck the rest of this postseason, and we'll we'll talk to you again down the road. Thank you. Maybe as early as tomorrow. There you go. All right, thanks a lot. Uh, Joe bertani has been our guest here. we got to take a quick break here on ESPN New Hampshire. The score after one, Merrimack one, BU nothing. Back after this.